We are in chapter 14 of Romans, so if you got your Bible, that's where we'll be. Um, we are going verse by verse through the book, uh, but all under the umbrella of the fact that Paul, a lot of his emphasis is on the fact that God is a keeper of promises. So we've been sort of summarizing as we go, sort of like a snowball as it builds. So we've been summarizing chapters 1 through 8 this way. In keeping with his promises, God is rescuing creation from the reign of sin and death by adopting, justifying, and giving his spirit to all those who have faith in Jesus with the promise that their mortal bodies, along with the whole creation, will be redeemed when his wrath is revealed against sin. And then we've been uh, summarizing chapters 9 through 11 this way by saying God was fair and consistent. He was, he was righteous. He was just, fair and consistent in choosing to cut off a portion of ethnic Israel for their unbelief so he could bestow his covenant riches on a full and complete family made up of a remnant of ethnic Israel along with the Gentiles of every nation, everyone who submits in faith to the lordship of Jesus. And that one... That's really the point um, on which I think that we're going to build tonight's lesson uh, because he he sort of builds the first, and we've said this every week, but he builds the first 11 chapters, this theological foundation, and then 12 through 16, more of the practical application. Now, what do you do about that? Because these things are true, how do you live that out in your life? And, And here's a fundamental truth that is a part of so many of Paul's letters, Romans, uh, Ephesians, Galatians especially, is that one of the main points of what Jesus is doing, what God is doing in and through Jesus, is he is assembling a multi-ethnic, multinational family, right? A multicultural family, that this isn't just a Jewish thing, right? And so for Paul... If someone, for lack of a better term, was a racist and they wouldn't have anything to do with their Gentile brothers and wouldn't eat with them, that that was a gospel violation. He would say in Galatians that when Peter did that, when Barnabas did that, when they only would spend time with and eat with fellow Jews and not with their Gentile uncircumcised brothers and sisters, that they were not walking in step with the gospel. Again, as we said in the very beginning of this series of lessons, gospel, yes, at the core of it is death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Yes, that's the core of the gospel, and that's what Jesus did to bring about the good news and the change in the world. Um, but gospel is so much more than just Jesus died and was buried and, and was raised. That gospel is, is something that if you only stick to your ethnic group and you only stick to your cultural group, your national, your nationality, then somehow you're, you're violating the gospel. That the gospel is the good news that God is gathering a multinational, multi-ethnic, multicultural people. That he's gathering up, yes, the remnant of Israel, ethnic Israel, but also Gentiles of every nation. And that, that is one of the greatest testimonies to the truth of the gospel that the world can look at and see. Jesus would pray this in John 17, that our oneness... Our oneness, in spite of our differences, 
in spite of our language differences or ethnic differences or cultural differences or national differences, the fact that we are one, Jesus said that our oneness would prove to the world that God really did, that the Father really did send the Son. So this is, this is fundamental and core to the gospel message. And that's really what Paul was trying to do in laying this foundation, is helping Jewish and Gentile Christians figure out why it was so important that they live together in harmony and how to live together in harmony. And the theological foundation is paramount. And I think that that's a lot of times why we get it wrong and why we have not just American Christians, but Christians all over the world, right? Christians all over the world have have sort of said, well, listen, you know, it would be easier if, you know, you just worship over there and I worship over here and you just stick with, you know, people that speak the same language or look the same or talk the same or vote the same or whatever. And so we just kind of have these little ethnic groups. And one of the reasons why we've all struggled with how to live this out is because we've missed the theological foundation that this is what God is doing in the world, is bringing us together, oneness, in spite of, in spite of our differences. We'll look at that more in just a second when we get to chapter 14. Uh, chapters 12 and 13, we can summarize this way. The only logical response to God's mercy in that he's saying, listen, all of you, all of you, in spite of where you come from, whether you're a Jew or you're a Gentile, whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, whoever you are, God wants you to be part of the family of Abraham, and he's extending his mercy to you, that God's mercy, the only response, the only logical response to that is to offer your body to God as a living sacrifice by doing good and not evil, by loving the church, Loving your neighbor, loving your enemy, and being subject to governing authorities. Those were some of the things that he covered in helping us to see. Again, starting in chapter 12, he's saying, okay, here's the practical application of this. If this is true, that God really is rescuing creation from the reign of sin and death, and he's adopting and justifying and giving his spirit to all kinds of human beings and bringing them all into the family of Abraham so that he can save a full and complete Israel, a new family of Abraham, then this is what it looks like. It looks like you taking your whole self and offering it to God as a living sacrifice, doing good and not evil, loving your neighbor, loving the church, loving your enemy, and even being subject to pagan governing authorities because God has a plan for it all. Okay, now chapter 14. So he says in verse 1, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Now, man, already one verse, there's so much packed in there. I really thought a lot about that this week, that, that idea of, Weak in the faith, or weak in, in, in faith, not weak in the faith, but weak in faith. What does that mean? As we get to the end of the chapter, you'll see that he, he contrasts that faith with doubt. I don't think he means, because he's already said, Romans chapter 10, right? He said, listen, the way a person is justified and, you know, the, the basis on which they're part of the family is the fact that they have faith in Jesus. I mean, the entire book has been about that, about this is all of you, our family, because you've put your faith in Jesus. I don't think he means that you're doubting the, the existence of God, 
or that you're doubting the, the lordship of Jesus, he, he's really talking about confidence in, in your actions. Confidence in whether or not a certain action or behavior is, is okay. Whether or not it's okay to do this or do that. And some people are, are weak in their confidence, or in other words, they have a lack of confidence about whether or not certain behaviors are okay. Specifically, I think a lot of what he's dealing with are people that are Jewish, right? And they've, they've grown up Jewish and they've, they've been accustomed to the law and the law has become a part of them. Not just like don't murder and don't steal and don't take the Lord's name in vain. Not, not those, but things like eating kosher foods, not eating food sacrificed to idols and being circumcised and keeping the Sabbath and keeping the Passover and keeping all of these other feasts and days and, and different things, that's become a part of them. And so for, for someone to say, oh, listen, you don't have to worry about that anymore. You don't have to keep those days. You don't have to worry about circumcision. You don't have to worry about the law. Uh, you don't have to do those things. Mm. Even if they see sort of the logic behind it, it's still going to be an incredibly difficult thing to do. Or for somebody to say, listen, Paul eats Eats food with, with Gentiles, right? He's always eating with the Gentiles. He's like a Gentile. With the Jews, he's like a Jew. And so it's okay if you, if you eat this food. And for them, that, they just don't have the confidence that that's an okay thing to do. They don't have the confidence that God would be okay with them doing that. And, and what do you do with a person like that? A person that has these, these scruples that said, I can't do that. I can't eat that food. I can't wear that. I can't uh, not observe this certain day. I, can't, I just can't do that. What do you do with him? Well, Paul tells him, tells us, what, what do you do? You welcome him, right? You welcome him. That's what you do. He's your brother. He's your family. Regardless of the fact that maybe you have all kinds of confidence that you can do this or do that or that you have the freedom to do this or that, and he doesn't, you're still family. And he says, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Now, what exactly do we mean by this? Well, I, I think we could go round and round about what sort of things apply, uh, are in this category. Um, but I think it's important to recognize that the, the Greek word there is dialogismos. And, and it's about something, a conclusion you've reasoned to. Sometimes we think of opinions and we say, well, that's just your opinion, right? Like Star Wars is a great movie or the color blue is the best color in the world, right? You know, it's a, we, we, we sort of act like it's that. But this, these aren't those sorts of opinions, right? That, that pineapple on pizza is great. You know, it's not, it's not that sort of an opinion. It, nobody holds a religious opinion lightly, Right? Nobody holds a religious opinion lightly. Everybody is convinced that their way of thinking about this is not just, well, that's just the way I grew up. That's just what I, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about things. You've reasoned through this. You've thought about it. You've been logical and you've drawn certain conclusions. Now, you've drawn certain conclusions and somebody else has drawn certain conclusions. You've, we might use the word inferred certain things. So you've drawn all kinds of inferences, right? And here's what you don't do fight about it. (laughs) Here's what you don't do. Fight about it. Quarrel about your dialogismos, what you've reasoned through. This is the only way to see this, and this is the only way. Everybody has to do this. If, If I can't eat meat, nobody should eat meat. If I have to celebrate this day, or I shouldn't celebrate this day, then no one should. Paul says, listen, that's not, that's not the point of you coming together. You come together 
and you welcome each other, and not to argue over your opinions. One person, so he uses some examples, and obviously it would go beyond these, but he uses some examples to help them see what he's saying. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. So again, weak in the sense that he doesn't have the confidence to do what somebody else has the confidence to do. Somebody has the faith or the confidence that they can do this, that they have the freedom to do this, and somebody else says, I, I don't think you can. I don't think I can. I can't eat that. I, I think I should only eat vegetables. And here's what he says not to do. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Man, as you think about that, I mean, it's amazing how often history sorts of, sort of repeats itself. Those who exercise freedom tend to despise those who exercise restraint. Let me say that again. Those who exercise freedom tend to despise those who exercise restraint. So you've known people in your life that they have certain scruples that you don't hold, right? They've reasoned through and they say, I don't think a Christian should do X, right? Whatever X is. I don't think a Christian should do that. Christian shouldn't do that. I can't do that. I don't think it's right to do that. And so they hold a certain scruple, right? And it's our tendency to look at that person and say, come on, you're a Pharisee. You're a legalist. I can't believe you. Why don't you do this? You don't, you have the freedom to do it. I don't know why you think you, you shouldn't do that. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't despise them for their restraint, for abstaining from the thing that they, they believe that they've come to the conclusion that they should abstain from. And then, on the other hand, he says, those who exercise, or he says, let not those who abstain pass judgment on the one who eats. And, and that's true, too. Those who exercise restraint tend to pass judgment on those who exercise freedom, right? Those who exercise restraint, those of us that say, well, no, on that, I agree. Christians shouldn't do that. There's no way a Christian should do that. And, and we, we are exercising restraint. And then we see somebody exercising what they believe is freedom. Then we say, hey, wait, wait a second. You shouldn't be. And we judge them for that. Now, I do think it's important for us to recognize that there are things that aren't in this category, right? There are things that are not just dialogismos. They're not just my reasonings. There are things that are laid out. In the last chapter, in chapter 13, he laid out a bunch of stuff that's not dialogismos. It's straight from an apostle of Jesus Christ. It's straight from a, an ambassador of Jesus to say, if you're a Christian, you cannot be doing these kind of things. He talks about drunkenness and orgies. He talks about how you need to be subject to the governing authorities. He talks about how you need to be loving your enemies. I mean, there's all kinds of things that, that God has been incredibly specific about. And said, this is the way you ought to live your life. But then there's a bunch of stuff that, I mean, it's not real specific and it's not real clear. And we're not told, don't draw conclusions. Don't reason through and draw inferences. We're, we're not told that. We, we do that and that's good. And Paul will go on to say, it's good. It's good to, to reason through and think through these things. And that's good. And there's nothing to say we can't talk to each other about it and reason with each other about these things but not quarrel about it. And we have to welcome each other. Because on what basis are we family? That we've all reasoned through everything exactly the same? Is that the basis on which we're family? No. 
The basis on which we're family is that we've all been baptized into Jesus. We've all been raised up to walk in newness of life. We've all put our faith in King Jesus. We've all given him our loyalty. And we're trying to live as brand new human beings in this world and navigate our way through this world and try to figure out what is pleasing to the Lord. And so as as that's true of all of us, we welcome each other. And why does he say we welcome each other? He says, because God has welcomed him. Not just you. I mean, that's true too, right? God has welcomed you. But God has welcomed him. So he's telling his Jewish brothers, listen, I know, I know, I know it's going to be hard for you to welcome in those pork-eating Gentiles, right? I mean, you know, I know, I know. You think the fact that they eat pork and they do these things, you know, that they don't observe these laws and they're uncircumcised, I know that's going to be hard. But here's what you do. You welcome them because God has welcomed them into the family. And here's what you do, Gentiles. I know, I know, it's going to be hard to be around these Jewish believers that have all of these rules and laws that are part of their heart and part of their mind. And it's going to be really hard for you guys to all be in the same family. But here's what you do. You welcome him. Why? Because God has done that. God has put you all in the same family. And this is going to be hard. But he would say, in in Philippians, he would say, this is how you work out your salvation, This is how you have the mind of Jesus, by putting each other above yourself. Because we all we all want to do what we want to do and not do anything we don't want to do. And then we want to be around people that want to do what we want to do and not do what we don't want to do, right? I know that was confusing, but I mean, that's what we want, right? We want to be around people that see things like us and that, that have reasoned through things like us. And it makes us incredibly uncomfortable. It's like, I don't have a book, chapter, verse to tell that person they're wrong, but I just know they're wrong. I know it. I know. I know they shouldn't be doing that. Or I, I can't believe they're so conservative that they just, oh, it's so frustrating. I know. This is the way it was. This is the way it's always been. This is the way it's supposed to be in the church. And we make each other better, and we live out what God has done for us by extending that same type of welcome to each other. Verse 4. Who are you? And, and I struggle with this, church. Like It's like sometimes I think, wow, is this really in the Bible? Do I really have to teach this? Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? That's tough, isn't it? Have you ever, have you ever been someplace where your kids are not doing anything bad? I mean, they're doing, they're fine. You know, they're fine. They're good, you know, they're running around or whatever, but you think your kids are doing fine, and then some other adult comes up and gets on to them, mm, right? I mean, that, that just kind of goes all over. I mean, if they're bad, I mean, get on to them. I mean, spank them if you got to. You know, do whatever you need to do. But listen, but if they're, Holly's like, don't tell everybody to spank her kids. But anyway, um, <laughs> but, but if they're doing fine and you're okay with what they're doing, and then someone else comes up and scolds them and makes them feel bad, Oh, that's frustrating, isn't it? And, and Paul's saying, listen, that person that you're judging and you're saying, you, you don't belong here. The way you're acting, what you believe, what you think, how you're doing, what you're eating, you don't belong here. He said, who are you? Who are you to judge the servant of somebody else? That person doesn't belong to you. That person belongs to God. It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So you don't, you don't worry about it. God's, God's got this. One person esteems one day better than another, while another esteem, esteems all days alike. 
Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And man, that's hard, isn't it? That's hard, right? We're like, uh, all of these Jewish believers, they're like, okay, it's Passover. What are we going to do? It's Passover. And the Gentile Christians are like, Passover? What difference does that make? That was all part of y'all's Moses stuff. You know, I, I don't know that we should be doing Passover. And they're like, well, of course we should be doing Passover. You guys are part of the Abraham family now. We do Passover. You should do Passover. I mean, it'd be hard, wouldn't it? How do we live this out? One person esteems one day better, one esteems every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. That's that strong in faith, right? You do what you're convinced about when it comes to this category of things. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So as, as long as what you're doing isn't sinful and you're convinced because you've reasoned through as a follower of Jesus, I think this is what I'm supposed to be doing, and you're fully convinced and, and there's nothing, you're not violating any principle of the gospel or principle of scripture, and you're doing it in honor of the Lord, whether it's that you're doing something or that you're abstaining from doing something, Jesus has you. You belong to him. God has welcomed you. And, and we need to remember that about each other. Verse 7. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Now, that's true in lots of different ways, but the, the overarching principle here is that it's... The people belong to the Lord and not to me and not to you to, to say, no, 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 you have to, you have to do things the way I think you should do things. They belong to the Lord. He is the Lord, both of the living and of the dead because of his death and his burial and his resurrection. Look at verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, you know, I almost as a side note here, there's a lot of passages where Paul talks about the judgment scene. And, and, and we might sort of like, like, feel like maybe there's like a contradiction or something. Because on the one hand, Paul would say, listen, you're in Christ, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There is no condemnation for all those who are in Christ Jesus, right? And then he says, okay, and by the way, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of God. Now, think though what he's saying. Because for Paul, and, and I would say the same thing for John. John says perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. But we've, we've passed out of that. For Paul, the judgment scene is not a negative thing. It's not a negative thing. Why? Because Paul was fully convinced that he stood righteous in the sight of God because of what Christ Jesus had done and that he was his faithful servant. So for Paul and for, for Paul, for all those who belong to Jesus, it's not a scary thing. It's, it's, it's not a negative thing. It's a positive thing. In fact, that's the whole argument that he's making here, isn't it? He's saying, Wes, who are you to judge Harry over here? I'm trying to think of a name. I'm not going to call somebody by name. But, you know, who are you to judge Harry? Harry's going to stand before Jesus. And Jesus is able to make Harry stand. 
Jesus is able to reward him and bless him. He belongs to Jesus, not to you, Wes. Now, does, does that mean that, that there's never a time when we say, Harry, listen, hmm, brother, listen, what you're doing is wrong. No, it doesn't mean that. There's times to admonish each other and to say this. And Paul would do that himself, right, in Galatians. He, he told us that he did that with Peter. He said, listen, I admonished him, I rebuked him to his face because what he was doing was out of step with the gospel. But we, we have to be discerning enough to recognize that there are some things that it's just my dialogismos. It's just my opinion. And I have a certain scruple. And my tendency is to judge you when you violate my scruple. When you exercise freedom, when I'm exercising restraint, it's my tendency to judge you. And I need to be reminded that you belong to Jesus and Jesus is able to make you stand and that you're going to stand before God and God will reward you and bless you. Why? Because you belong to him and not to me, right? And we need that reminder so that we live in harmony with each other, so that we live at peace with each other, so that we welcome each other on the basis of, not on the basis of agreeing on all of our various reasoning, right? You say, we shouldn't watch this movie, and I say, no, I think it's okay to watch that movie, and you say, we shouldn't wear this, and you know, I say, no, no, I think that's okay. You know, whatever. We don't have to agree on everything, Because we're going to, as we encounter various things in every culture, and you come from a different family and a different culture and a different background, and all of these people did too, it's going to be incredibly difficult. And as long as what a person is doing isn't violating the gospel and isn't violating scripture, and it's just a matter of our own reasoning, then we have to remember they are going to stand before God in judgment, not me in judgment, not you in judgment. Verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Now we're getting real. (laughs) Because now he's really getting into, I mean, on the one hand, you got to deal with the people that have all of these scruples that say, yeah, but Christians shouldn't do that nonsense stuff, right? And you got to tell them, listen, cool it. (laughs) You're not the judge. You, they don't belong to you. They belong to the Lord, and the Lord is able to make them stand. But at the, uh, on the other hand, there, there's going to be a, some people that feel like, well, then I could just do everything that I have a right to do, everything that I have a freedom to do, I'm going to do it. And I don't care who sees it, and I don't care what they think. You can't judge me. I belong to Jesus. Wrong. That, that wasn't, that's not the way it's written. It's not written for you to say, I belong to Jesus, so you can't judge me. It's written to say, they belong to Jesus, so don't judge them. But then on the other hand, if you feel like exercising your freedom, but when you really stop and think about it, and you think, listen, if I do this, and I do it publicly, and I brag about it, whether it's eating food, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, put yourself in their situation. You got Christians there, and they, they really have a hard time with this food thing, Right? I mean, there were some that apparently would go so far to say, I only eat vegetables. I mean, whether it's meat sacrificed to idols or the wrong type of unclean meats or how it was prepared or whatever, and that's their scruple, right? And then you got other people that it's like, I don't care where it came from, you know? I mean, I'm not worshiping an idol, so bring it on, you know, pork or ham or whatever, just bring it, you know? I mean, so you've got all of these different kinds of people, and it would be It'd be so easy to just say, I don't care what you think. I'm going to eat what I want to eat. I don't care what you think. I'm going to celebrate what I want to celebrate or not celebrate what I don't want to celebrate. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And he says, listen, here's what you do. Don't pass judgment on one another. 
And here, rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. This brother that you're talking about and you think, why doesn't he just get over it? For him, it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Do you see how that theological foundation, if you don't have that in the back of your mind through all of this discussion and trying to navigate all of these issues, you'll go wrong. You'll just say, okay, well, tell me what the rules are. What can I do? What can I not do? I just want to know the rules. No, 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 we we can't get to the rules until you have a theological foundation because you've got to understand that sometimes you exercising your freedom might cause someone else an incredible amount of grief and pain. It might even cause them to fall away from the body of Jesus. It might cause a rift within the community of Jesus. And if that's what happens, it's not worth it. Do not, for the sake of your supper, destroy someone for whom Jesus died. This thing that we are a part of This community that we're a part of, this movement that we're a part of, that God is rescuing creation by adopting us into his family, it is far too costly and far too important for me to destroy over what I want to eat. Do not, by what you eat, destroy the one for whom Christ died. Verse 16, so don't let what you regard as good be spoken spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. You see, when you live this way and you say, listen, I, I, I can. Paul knew. He, Paul knew he could eat all kinds of things and he could do all kinds of things. But there were tons of times where he gave up his rights. First Corinthians 9. Why? For the sake of others. And when you do that and you live that way and you say, I just want to bring glory to God by having unity in the church, then you are what? Acceptable to God and approved by men. There's this peace and this harmony. But our flesh says, yeah, but that's not fair. I want to do what I want to do. I want to eat what I have a right to eat. I want to, I want to drink what I have a right to drink. I want to wear what I have a right to wear. And Paul would say, that's not the only thing at stake here. There's more at stake than what you want or even what you may or may not have a right to do, what you're convinced you have a right to do. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding or edification. Verse 20, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. This, This is the work of God. You are the work of God. God is building you and putting you together and Mm, and our pride and our flesh can so often tear it apart. Everything is indeed clean, but it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes a brother to stumble. The faith that you have, verse 22, the faith that you have, in other words, the confidence that you have to act, keep between yourself and God. There's time when you just keep that between yourself and God. There is no reason for you to flaunt that. You don't have to tell anybody that. You're convinced. Yes, you're convinced. You may be right. You may be wrong. Keep working on that. But there's a time to just, you don't have to share it. Because by sharing it, by saying, I'm going to eat whatever I want to eat. I'll do whatever I want to do. You may cause someone else to stumble and fall. 
Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment or condemn himself for what he approves. For whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. You need to be convinced. You need to be convinced that what you're doing is right. And by right doesn't mean just like, well, show me there's a rule against it. Right as in it brings honor and glory to God and it doesn't cause my brother or sister to stumble and that it makes for peace and edification. So we might summarize the chapter this way. Based on who Jesus is and what he has done for us, followers of Jesus should welcome each other without quarreling and pursue what makes for peace and edification. And that's hard, isn't it? And I know you've got questions like, well, what about this, Wes? And what about that, Wes? And I know, I do too. I've got a million of those. A million. It's not easy, but it's worth it. Because we take an irrelevant message to the world to say, Jesus is uniting humanity. And they look at us and say, how come y'all can't even get along then? Our theology has to lead to this type of, of unity. Let's pray. Most Holy Father, help us to be one as you and the Son are one. Father, help us to welcome one another as you have welcomed them and as you have welcomed us. May we, regardless of our culture or our background or our language or our family of origin or any other thing that might cause us to think different and see things differently, may we not rub each other's noses in it. May we not arrogantly and pridefully do whatever we think we have a right to do. May we not judge or despise one another. May we not quarrel with one another. May we simply, Father, seek to pursue what makes for peace and edification. May we walk in the light as you are in the light so that we might have fellowship with you and with one another. Thank you, Father, for rescuing us now and in the future in the age to come. Father, we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.